0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 73, we've got Camp Cooking and Cleanup. Misconceptions about motorcycle travel and common traits and characteristics in successful motorcycle travelers. All that and more coming up. This episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, facilitating adventurous conversations, much like I hope we do here on Raw, freshtracks.co.uk. Now, before we get going today, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more Steve Howard, Dustin Near, Stephen Brook, Ned Scanlon, Stephen Morata. Michelle Cluth, Mike Kelly, Gregory Kreiderman, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all so much. It's great to have the support from people who enjoy the show and uh, and step up and support it. You can do that too at AdventureRiderRadio.com. Click on support. Uh, anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do. Anything $10 or more gets you Adventure Rider Radio stickers. Drop by the website and have a look. Well, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for February 2022. live from the right. Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the Boreal Forests of North America. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin. And today, the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular, esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Michelle Lampfair in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Michelle, hello.
1: Hello. How is everybody today? Cold and snowy like I am, I, I hope not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I definitely am. Am I the only other person in snow here? Is anyone else? Hold your hands up. Wow. You. Oh. Oh, let
2: me
3: put my thongs on
0: Shirley Michelle. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a wonderful picture even in my mind.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Michelle, you must be getting ready to break out of this. I, well, what you, last month you were, you were visiting a friend though. You were off, uh, you know, escaping I, the winter.
1: I was. I was in North Carolina, but I think she blamed me for snow following me there. So <laughs> I came back to South Dakota to uh, the midst of shoveling season. I, don't, I no longer call it winter because shoveling season begins in autumn and continues through winter and into spring.
0: So yeah, You know, you grew up with this, I know, because you were yeah. born and raised in South Dakota. So, I mean, you're used to the snow, but do you find now at the age you're getting to now that it just there's sort of a lackluster there with the snow. I mean, it's exciting when you get a <laughs> snowfall, but not quite the same.
1: It, it, yes. I would say I'm, I'm not as tempted to build snowmen and make snow angels as I was 30 or 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so that probably affects my ability to enjoy it. But yeah. I, I have been thinking about buying a snowmobile again. I I started out on snowmobiles before motorcycles. So I I, yeah, kind of, have an all-season capability that way.
0: Mm, That's a a good idea. Well, I'm going to leave you contemplating the snowmobile and uh, and bring in Grant Johnson in British Columbia, Canada, enjoying the sunshine. Uh, Are you at the beach or still at home? I wish.
4: (laughs) I wish I was at the beach. Well, it's spring for
0: you is what I'm saying. But it's
4: spring, yes. And uh, our favorite British Columbian thing to do to the Easterners is always the bulbs are out. They're coming up. We're seeing flowers. They're opening out. <laughs> and I know you guys are still stuck under the snow. Awesome.
0: Grant, yeah. I'm just going to leave you here and bring in Shirley Hardy-Ricks and Brian Ricks, who are halfway through their summer already. It's almost gone. I mean, it's on the downside. You passed the midpoint anyway.
5: <laughs> well, good morning. And, and we actually had to turn the light on this morning when we woke up. So uh, it is um, starting to move into the shorter days. But it's still going to be um, mid to high 30s today, uh, sun shining. What can I say, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, a,
3: not a cloud in the sky, Jim. It's great riding weather. Went for, a, a as, as Sam would say, a bimble on the uh, trail bike on the weekend with a couple of mates. Had a great time. Take one of the road bikes out today. And uh, yeah,
0: life's good. Yeah, it's um, it's so great to hear, Brian. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Sam Manicom is in the UK. Hello, Sam. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Going <laughs> oh, great, Sam. <laughs> Good man. We're not
6: complaining. <laughs> nice,
0: Sam. You, you must be still going though, because you've got this new book out now, and uh, you you must be just like going like crazy still, just on the launch.
6: It's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Burger and I spent um, all day Saturday and all day Sunday um, just packing books um, and getting them into the post um, for the, the further flung countries such as Australia
0: and uh, New Zealand
6: oh, and states and Canada. We should
5: get our copies. Oh, oh July. Yeah.
6: yeah, something like that.
0: Now, now what so is the route? Does so it go by boat and kangaroo? And uh, how how do they get it all the way to Australia?
6: I tell you what, I think that since um, the big sea kicks in, um, there's so fewer um, cruise liners and aeroplanes and all of this sort of stuff, it's just slowed down um, long distance postage um, horribly. Um, So people who are a little bit more distant from me um, are just going to have to be um, patient and hopeful that what they actually end up getting in the post is as gorgeous as I think it is.
0: No doubt. I mean, even here in our own country, I sent something from here to uh, the Yukon. It took eight weeks to get there. Oh eight my weeks! Goodness. Wow! You know, I, th- I think they had a problem with a dog sled or something. But even still, you, you would think <laughs> it would have got there faster than that. But, but very, very. Well, I tell
6: you what, Jim. I I have the um the most muscular pigeons in existence. We've been breeding them for the last two years in <laughs> very, preparation for this.
0: Very handy. That's that's good. Hey.
3: Has anyone gone back in history and had a look at the Pony Express and see how long it took them to get from one side of America to the other? I mean, it's a
0: eight eight weeks. Jeez, <laughs> I know it's it's crazy, and it's um, it just seems to be the 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 way it is now. I mean, things have just slowed. And of course, everybody says COVID. You know, that's all you hear. You know, it's it's slow. We don't have it. Whatever. It's always COVID. I I really think this this COVID thing is is a great excuse for a lot of things. Exactly, Jim. Yeah. yeah. Well, our first topic that we're going to tackle here for February 2022 is common traits and characteristics in successful motorcycle travelers. It's, it's um, an interesting thing. You know, we, we like to look at uh, the common traits. I, I did a quick little search on common traits of adventurous people. And, and one of the first things that popped up, this is a Google search, was they don't know the comfort zone. They never say, and then, <laughs> the next one being, they never say no to an adventure. And then there, there are no excuses when it comes to travel. They don't believe in routine. I mean, this, this sounds like, you know, quite a, uh, well, adventurous, if not wild type of personality. <laughs> I, I like this. What about what, what you guys? Michelle, what do you think? What are some common okay. traits?
1: Oh, gosh. First of all, I, I got stopped on just the word successful. So
0: in the details. The
1: trait of a successful motorcycle traveler living through it, surviving. I mean, um, you know, there are days that my idea of successful might be different. Um, you know, I I may have a hiccup or even have a physical injury, but if I pull through it, I can recover and at the other end of the trip have enjoyed it way more than anything that was, you know, a downfall. I feel like that's successful.
0: Yeah. I think successful in this sense is, um, having a good time going out and and making a a successful, enjoyable trip. So there are certainly people we've heard, we all have heard stories of people who've went out and just didn't enjoy their adventure, didn't enjoy whatever trip they took. And that's where, you know, we're saying successful. So don't put too much weight on that.
1: Okay. Well, I'm... (laughs) Believe me, I, I wasn't getting too deep in thought on this, but okay. I was having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> One of the things that I think I've said probably previously, and I think it's just my perspective on traveling in general, is a sense of curiosity. I really think that that's a trait that um, lures people out into the wild, into environments other than their comfort zone or from home. They, they're they interested in seeing what life is like in another part of the world, what roads are like, what's up this road what would that country be like to travel through? So I think curiosity really opens that door for me and wants me, leads me wanting into another country to explore.
4: Grant, how about you? Well, Michelle stole my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Grant. I I, I was uh, stuck on the successful thing. I was just curious. What does an unsuccessful motorcycle traveler look like? <laughs> <laughs> and, and there, there are. Very few, because they tend to not say anything very much. It feels like a failure, I guess. Um, but generally, eventually, you become a successful traveler. People get stuck on, um, I'm not having fun. I'm not having fun. What's, what's wrong here? What am I doing wrong? And then they generally get advice like, slow down. Don't ride so much. Relax. Take a break. Things like that. And all of a sudden the trip becomes more successful. Uh, I think very few go out on a big trip and then cut it short. I think that's very rare because you you eventually get into a groove where you start to understand what it's all about and it becomes normal as opposed to weird and strange and different and scary and adventurous, I don't know. Um, but eventually you get into the groove where this is the way my life is and you know what? It's okay. There's problems along the way. I have troubles on occasion, but it's all, hey, you have problems at home. You know, I had a problem taking back something to the Canadian Tire the other day. It would, they wouldn't take it back because it was out of the package and stuff. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like anything on a trip. You know, you, you go to a border crossing and they it's miserable. Well, yeah, okay. But you survived it. And guess what? You've got a story about the problem which people always want to hear about. They always want to hear, well, where did it go wrong? And how did you succeed? How did you conquer this thing? And I really hate the word conquer. Trust me, I just hate it. Mm. Um, you you work your way through these things, you figure it out, and you keep on moving. You become more self-sufficient than you were. You become more adventurous to people who aren't doing these things but to you it becomes normal so common traits then what, what are you saying persistence persistence is a big one i think working your way learning to work through a problem and not get freaked out by it's probably a big one mm, yeah. just sit down take a breath okay i got this problem now how am i going to solve it um don't do like somebody related to me who i won't mention who went to europe for this wonderful three month trip and Got sick second weekend, got really sick, and got on a plane and went home. It was the end of his trip. It didn't occur to him that he could have stayed in a nice hotel and relaxed and had uh, room service. Everything would be okay. And eventually he'd feel better. And then he could continue the trip. That was an
0: unsuccessful trip.
4: That was very (laughs) unsuccessful. and it's it's always the one that comes to mind when i think about unsuccessful and travelers having problems i mean he was in his mid-20s he was old enough and big enough that he should have been okay with it but he couldn't handle it he just didn't know what to do didn't know how didn't know how to think and work his own way through problems, solve the problem so i think that's a very important thing
0: anything else any other common traits that come to mind
5: um, <clears throat> I think you need to have the ability to go with the flow. Yeah. And be and be patient. Um you know what you were saying about having fun grant I mean there's plenty of days at home where you don't have fun but you don't think we'll give up being at home because yeah, we're exactly. Fun. So some days on the road you are not going to have fun other days you are going to get frustrated with things you see as people not being able to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it but you've just <laughs> got to be far more patient go with the flow. Um, and just a little bit less judgmental, I guess, is that, you know, you maybe need that, to just not compare everything yeah. with with what you think it should be if you were in your home environment because you're not in your home environment, you're in someone else's home environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, so yeah. I,
3: I, I, I think one of the traits that really um, we've missed a little bit is inquisitiveness.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, uh,
3: mm-hmm. Everyone… If you're inquisitive about what other people are doing, or what other how other people live, or what their environment is like, and you know, I, I really think that's a big part of um, uh, being a what you call a, a characteristic of an adventurous person is your inquisitiveness, trying to find out about things, and you know.
5: Something uh, that could uh, be seen as being a busybody at home can be seen as being inquisitive <laughs> when you're not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah isn't that under the um, curiosity yeah. banner though that Michelle had?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
3: probably, yeah, probably, probably. But i also, you know, like it goes in waves. You know, you'll have good days, you'll have bad days, you'll you'll have great days, you'll have mediocre days, and but there's a there's a certain trait of um, you know, like you you've got to be pretty resilient too and I always think of my grandmother who who travelled behind the Iron Curtain in the early 60s and you know her people were shocked and horrified that she would even attempt that and she was um, uh, on a little tour through Paris and fell and broke a leg. This is a grandmother in the 70s and most people are, you know, oh, that's it, I'm going. No, nah, not my grandmother. No, I'll go and get that set. And there's photos of her with a broken leg going outside the Eiffel Tower, you know, just continuing on and getting things done. I think you've got to have that spirit of, hey, I'm here, I'm going to uh, see what I can, experience what I can and keep going. And I I think that's one of the biggest things that you you have to have as an adventurous motorcycle traveller.
6: Yeah, Michelle, what you said about curiosity and um, you, Brian, I think that's that's so right. Um, it's it's a constant desire to, to look and see what side turnings are happening. And, you know, sometimes we see in, in movies and so on, and they start talking about the warrior gene. Well, I think all um, successful motorcycle travelers have a real explorer instinct in them. And you touched on this just now, Brian. Um, I mean, I, I, being a lowly bum on two wheels, have no scientific evidence for this, but I think there's an explorer gene. And I love to think that such a trait exists. And it may, it's made up in my mind of what, why, where, and how. And they're just there, aren't they? And the longer we're on the road, the more we see these things. But Shirley said something just now as well. I thought, yeah, that's spot on. Um, most successful overlanders um, – have learned the value of patience uh, you almost never meet um um an uh, somebody who's been travelling long distance on a motorcycle who's impatient because all learn that impatience doesn't help it doesn't help anyone and if anything it can provoke problems where there are actually potentially none. Um, I mean, I had a a situation in Uganda, and I'd had a puncture, and I just could not get it to pop back out on the bead. And the day was getting really, really long, and I'd tried everything I could think of. And the amount of air I ended up um, pumping into the thing was just stupid. I was almost taking off with it. Um, But the day got really long. And when I eventually managed to do it, that oh-so-satisfying pop got on the bike and started riding, but the sun was already on the horizon and I really don't like riding on dirt roads or anywhere in the dark. And of course, what, I, what did I come across? But a river. And it was about 20 feet wide. I mean, it looked fairly shallow, um, but I really wanted to get off this track by by dark. And I stupidly decided to just go for it. Um, I never do this sort of thing. But in this instance, and I could see where sort of wet vehicle tracks were going in and out of it. And yeah, well, I should have walked across um, first as I usually did. Um, and <laughs> picking my bike up from an underwater smooth rock base that was covered in green slime on my own was not funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it took me ages and there actually was a pothole in the end that managed me to, um, to help me to get the, the bike standing up because I was just pushing and my feet were falling out from underneath me. But eventually I managed to get um, the back wheel to go into a pothole and then I could stand it up, but it was too dark to ride on by that time. Um, and I ended up wild camping in a place that I hadn't seen in daylight. And that was really silly. Um, if I'd walked across first, um, I would have realized how slippery it was and I would have lined up perfectly with the tra- you know the vehicle tracks that were going in and out of this. And it probably would have been all right. Um, but yeah, well, we learned, don't we? And I think Shirley also said this, um, chilled positivity. It's just way more fun than constant negativity, isn't it? One of my favorite sayings, and this is really stupid to, for me to say straight after what I've just said about how a pothole saved me, but in general traveling terms, Um, I love this saying, and it's um, stop worrying about the potholes and celebrate the journey because things do go wrong. Um, And when you look at these things, when they go wrong, well, there normally is something funny happening. So just focus on that. See the funny side of life. Be quick to laugh. And that helps you to celebrate the journey. And I think the more days that you can spend with a a curious, um, inquisitive smile, um, the more successful you are with what you get out of your trip.
0: So these these traits or characteristics that we're talking about here, do you guys think that they're inherent in your in your personality, your makeup beforehand, or is it something you've learned on the road, or you think that a person would learn on the
5: road? Presumably, you must have some of them to have the desire to do the trip in the first place.
6: Ah, uh, that explorer gene.
2: Yes.
5: Absolutely. Yeah.
4: I mean, I remember when I left Vancouver to head down south, and on our world trip. And there was all kinds of guys that I knew that had done all kinds of motorcycle riding. They'd been all over the place, done lots of local travel, lots of riding. And every single one of them says, why would you want to do that? You're crazy. I mean, why? It just doesn't make any sense. They don't have the explorer gene. And then you get people who've never left their hometown or state or even their country for smaller countries like winds we won't name in Europe. Um, It's just a different point of, or a different way of looking at life. You either are really stuck in your local thing and you're very happy where you are and outside of home is not of any interest whatsoever or you can't wait to get out there and see what's out there. And I think there's two very different type of people. Um, Another phrase we've used is Tent people and cave people. Cave people aren't going anywhere and have no interest in going and do not understand why tent people do what they do. And that's fine. It's good that there's not too many of tent people. <laughs> <laughs> it's all perspective. It's all how you approach life and how you do things. I mean, I've had many careers and jobs and worked in different countries and all kinds of things. And like Susan and I both, when a job opportunity in another country comes up, we go, Hmm, that'll be interesting. Okay, when do we leave?
6: And I know some people say, Are you nuts? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a sort of willingness to take a risk, I think, um, yeah. in long term motorcycle travelers. And that it seems that um, many people learn how to think yes first, um, the reasons why it's a good idea, and not focusing straight in on the reasons why it isn't a good idea. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's just a different way of thinking. It is, and I don't think it's anything to do with bravery or anything like that, because most people, when, when they head out, um, they have a clue about the risks, and they're prepared to accept them. Um, and I think they've also learned that you can ride for weeks without anything wobbly happening, but then it's your attitude, how you deal with it, when something does go um, wobbly on you.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking of not just risk takers, but the other side of that, maybe one of the tendencies or traits of a successful traveler is being a little bit conservative. And maybe there's kind of a fine line between the two. What I'm thinking of being conservative is doing proper preparation. Like I tend to carry maybe a few more spares and a little more water than some people. I do a little homework on routes, take a look at border crossings, do a little bit of research before I go, if I can, just to at least feel sort of a comfort level that if I lose electronics, if I lose some data, if I lose contact, I kind of know where I'm headed. Um, Maybe do a little bit of practicing of language. Um, just, Just some other things. So I feel like I see that as being a little bit conservative where I feel like I am weighing out the risks and trying to prepare myself at least enough to address some of those risks that then I I feel more prepared. I go into the situation a little more confident. I feel like I have backup plans or contacts or knowledge, um, something that that gives me at least some coverage for some of the risks. Like I don't go out to bars late at night or put myself in vulnerable situations, especially when I'm traveling alone or traveling in small groups. And again, you know, some of these, Decisions and and what my comfort zone in ver- or comfort zone is varies depending on the situation I'm going to be in. But maybe yeah. being a little bit conservative could be part of that too. But that's that's um, just not being foolhardy.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah, true. Both. Sometimes people just go into it like a bull at a gate and don't do any preparation, don't think things through, and yeah, you know, nothing good happens at two o'clock in the morning in a bar. Amen <laughs> <laughs> to that. <laughs> and, and when you hear people saying, oh, I was robbed or I was beaten up or my bike was stolen and then you go into the the backstory of, of the circumstances, you think, well, yep, you can't <laughs> legislate <Yes>. against stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: some people, are, you know, like uh, we've we got travellers, oh, yeah, I'll just uh, throw a swag on the back of the bike and take off. And they do that. Well, that's fine. That's, that's their attitude. but. I'm a bit like you, Michelle. I like to have a little bit of preparation, but I think there's that little streak in you that says, oh, yeah, okay, well, let's go down this road and see where it ends up.
2: Mm.
3: It's a little bit of both, I think, Michelle. I think you're right.
0: So what are the top three? Uh, Michelle, you said curiosity, um, being conservative. Grant, you said persistence, working through problems. Uh, Surely, go with the flow, patience, less judgmental. Brian, you said inquisitive. I think you had something else on there that I can't remember. Sam, I think you said explorer gene, mm-hmm. positivity, and, and taking risks, which yeah, is taking risks is, is like the opposite of being conservative up there with Michelle that added that in. So top three, what, what do you think of the top three?
5: I kind of like the explorer gene. I, I, hope it, I hope it exists. It would be nice, wouldn't <laughs> it? I it exists.
3: Professor Menacom, well done. See yeah.
5: yeah.
6: <laughs> about that. I <laughs> described myself as a lowly bum on two wheels. With scientific evidence. that still
3: yeah, well, the bloke who ran the fastest um, four-minute mile. Roger Bannister was actually a, um, um, a a doctor. So you're you're in the right company, mate. You never know. You yeah. might get there. I, um,
0: I missed that reference, Brian. What was it, Roger? What are you saying about Roger? Roger Bannister?
3: Roger, Roger Bannister. Yeah, the four-minute mile. Meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was a doctor. So you know, you, you know, a, a bloke who can run fast uh, can become a doctor. Uh, a, a humble bum of a motorcyclist can, can become a professor. Of, um, prof- uh,
5: professor of philosophy.
3: Philosophy. <laughs> philosophy yeah. Right.
6: Okay. I see. Right? <laughs> <Shoot>. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ted Simon um, once um, said, "The interruptions of the journey," and I think that most long-term, long-distance riders have learnt this they're not afraid of them. They're looking out for them because stuff happens and it's how you deal with it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's certainly perspective because I know that like on a daily routine, if you just look at your daily things, especially if you have a lot to do, the interruptions are not the experience, you know, when, when I'm trying to get things done. So it's perspective, you know, when I'm, when I'm off on an adventure, then yeah, then I can look at it that way, but certainly not on an everyday basis.
6: Oh, that's for sure. Oh, I've had one of those today and and oh, um, six hours of frustration. But that's all right. Um, I stood back and tomorrow is another day.
0: Well, uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was, a few, it was a few weeks ago now, we had some incredible interruptions. Our, our interface quit working. We couldn't get one. We couldn't find one. I had to drive. A, it took me a day to drive to the place to get it and come back. Um one of our vehicles the alternator went the next vehicle the radiator went this is all within like 3 days or something like this oh, it had frozen water lines it was it, i really felt like you know that that was one of those times where the interruptions are not part of my life that i want i don't want any part of
5: this <laughs> That's where you need patience, Jim. Oh, you're so <laughs> right. You come through it.
0: You're oh, so right. In there.
2: Persistence.
0: Persistence. <laughs> well, persistence I had, but yeah. patience I didn't. So that, I, I think you're Yeah, surely. that's
2: what you needed.
6: Right. Patience.
2: <laughs> Chilled positivity, day. Jim, and
6: that is you. Chilled positivity. I mean, you've got snow <laughs> yeah. out there, so.
0: Right. Well, that
2: is I'd
3: patience look, then, I'd, isn't I'd, it? It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've got to love your motorbike, you know. You've got to really enjoy motorcycling, I think, to, be, to do what we do. There are easier ways to travel the world, but you know, being out in the breeze and riding your bike and exploring new things with your bike, I, I think that's part of it too.
0: Yeah, I think that makes
5: sense. Yeah, you have to You take your wife. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, you get I, to. I always know that, yeah, <laughs> well, I always know, Michelle, that I'm actually second cab on the rank. When it comes to <laughs> save me or the GS, gee, there's a tough one. But that's, that's really
0: high up there, though, Shirley. Good
5: for you. That's very true, Jim. To be second is very true, yeah.
0: So top three, Brian, what do you think?
3: Um, I, I think um, that inquisitiveness and curiosity that uh, Michelle and I spoke about, um, liking your motorbike, uh, like riding, um I think they're the main points. Everything else will fall into place. You'll get there. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll make it. Um, as everyone said, you'll have pitfalls and problems along the way, but that's all part of the journey. Suck it up and take it on board and, and uh, enjoy.
5: You know, one thing we didn't mention is the ability to laugh at yourself.
2: Oh, mm. yes. Oh, yes. Right. When
5: things go course. horribly wrong and you know you've had a complete and utter idiot moment. And yep, you've got no there. one to laugh but yourself, you do have to laugh about it.
6: And have you Otherwise, noticed, Shirley, that, that when, when you have the ability to laugh at yourself as a traveller, other people like spending time with you. Yeah. So true. Yeah. It's it's such an honest thing. And when you laugh at yourself, it's laughter. And people like being around people who laugh.
5: And tumble. if you've had an idiot moment, don't dwell on it because the people around you are going to get very sick of you being morose. Just laugh it off. You know, you're an idiot. Don't do move it again. On. Yep. Move on. That's it. Grant, exactly. Move on.
1: Yeah, yep. most of those things, especially those challenges, are part of being human or part of just yeah. life.
5: That's true. Yep.
1: Yeah. You
4: learn from every one of them. And I think that's the most important thing of all. Learn from the mistakes. Learn which, what you need to know and move on. Alas, Grant,
5: not everyone learns from them. No. <laughs> we need well, to long try by the less. third time you happens. do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the definition of unsuccessful too.
6: <laughs> yes. How does that saying go? Um, experience is what tells you when you cocked it up again.
0: isn't just recognizing the fact that you've screwed up and you've done it before isn't that part of the process saying you know okay i didn't learn my lesson but at least i recognize it now when it happens to me (laughs) maybe i won't do it again maybe
5: the goal (laughs) is to start to recognize
1: it and prevent the next time happening
5: right that golden moment when you go oh no i've done this before and it didn't well that time
1: You no, know, I think another trait of successful travelers that we haven't really talked about too is being self-sufficient, being, uh, you know, able to recognize situations. And this is in the downside of it, the discussion we've just been having and giggling about. But also, you know, recognizing situations, being able to get yourself out of it and understanding, you know, how to make things work, finding solutions. Life is in particularly in travel you're going to run into problems. And so finding ways to get through that, finding solutions, whether that's compromise or pulling in resources or just getting yourself out of a jam, whatever that is, being self-sufficient and motivated to take care of it yourself, being responsible. I think those are important too for traits and travelers.
0: Mental rather than what you've packed.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah, mentally. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I've heard from a lot of people who've come back from
4: a trip and gone looking for a job that the fact that they've done a big trip and come through it is actually of real interest to a lot of corporations because they understand that this person runs into problems and learns and knows how to solve problems and works through it and is successful.
3: And that's of huge value to a lot of businesses. But it, funny you mentioned that, Grant. That's exactly what I was going to say problem solver. I was talking to someone the other day about, and I, I'm, I'm a farmer's son, and farmers solve problems. You know, you, you're out yeah, in the middle yeah. of nowhere, and a, a piece of eight gauge wire will fix most things, you know, and stuff like that. Well, and, and on the road, it's exactly the same thing. You solve problems. You mightn't be the best mechanic, you mightn't be the best navigator, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and something happens, you can solve a problem and get yourself out of danger or problems and get you somewhere, somewhere to get fixed properly. Um, I think that's an important trait.
4: I think uh, it's something you can learn on the road too. You realize yeah. that I've got a little bit yeah. of a problem here yeah. now. What do I do? Well, Mummy isn't here anymore to help me out, so I'm going to have to figure it out. And guess what? You grow by doing that and you get better at it and better and better. Do
6: you know, there were some <laughs> people told. who had other travel and um, and I've come across them and they – they really don't know very much about what they're doing and they don't care because they know that there will always be somebody else who will get them out of trouble. Um, I've never been particularly comfortable um, being around um, long-distance travelers who are like that. I think um, a lot of the success comes from learning that being a taker isn't good, but being a sharer is, but also not being afraid to ask for help um, when you do need it. Um, being proud, too proud, can get you into trouble.
0: Awesome. True, true. So um, I'm right on the tail of that. Is is our next one, which is um, misconceptions about motorcycle travel. And, and I thought, Grant, you, you're the one to start off with this one. I am misconceptions. <laughs> well, it's, because your horizon's unlimited. I mean, you, you're dealing with this stuff all the time. Oh. So I thought, I mean, you, you must run into this all the time.
4: The biggest thing that we always get is how do you how can you afford it, and the next one is why do you do it? Of course, but I think that's we've kind of covered that in a lot <laughs> of ways in the previous bit. Um, but the biggest one is expensive, and which bike is another one that drives people crazy, and when I we get that all the time. I'm preparing. I'm preparing. I'm preparing. God, we've been hearing this forever.
0: So the the misconceptions would be that you need a lot of money, I guess, or a lot more money than what you might imagine, that you need the perfect bike to go and that um, the timing has to be perfect. I mean, is that what you're saying?
4: Those are the the big things. I mean, you, you had those in our little show notes preparation for us and you got it right on the money. Those are the big things that people struggle with. The, the witch bike, the witch bike forum that we have is just like, oh, it goes on and on and on and on. And you always see the ex- really experienced travelers say, you know, take what you got, take what you like, take what works for you, take what you love. It really doesn't matter. The bike is going to affect what kind of a trip you do and where you go and what your choices are. But so what? You're still going to have a great trip. Um, when it comes to money, So many people think you have to have a ton of money. How do you afford it? It's probably the biggest number one phrase. Not many people think that it's it can be done really, really cheap, but they're willing to try. And it's amazing how cheap some people will go. Um, But you have to work on how much do you need to travel. And I think the people that are successful are the ones that say, I will go until the money runs out. And then I'll stop and work if I have to, or I'll go home or plan that that's the end of my trip. And again, everybody's going to have a different trip. And we always have the, well, how much? And then you say, well, are you 18 or are you 40 or are you 70? Because the price for each person is going to be different. At 18, you'll you you'll sleep in a ditch. You'll sleep under a bridge. At 70, mm, probably not. You might want a nice yeah. hotel. Maybe not a five-star, but certainly a three-star. So, that makes a huge difference in what it's going to cost. But so you have to decide what works for you. I ride with a couple of guys fairly, somewhat regularly, and their idea of roughing it is a cheap hotel. Mm, yeah, not my idea of roughing it.
0: So do you camp so, outside? while they they stay in the hotel? <laughs> if
6: they're hoteling, I'll hotel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> I just I'm had this stupid. image of you sleeping under a tarp next door to your bike in the hotel car park. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> Nah,
4: <laughs> I'm 70. I'll do something a little smarter than that. <laughs> but I'll, I went, did a camping trip and it was out in the middle of nowhere just this last summer and it was fine. I was okay with it. You know, as long as I had enough water and a camp beside a stream and it was great. I really enjoyed it for three nights. It's lovely. So it depends on what you want.
3: I don't yeah, know if that covers missing section. I, 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 I you know, it's, it's what it costs. Uh, I, I think you're right, Grant, you know, age can be a little bit different. It depends on your how you want to live too, you know, um, it, it costs what it costs. On our first trip, I probably expected it to cost a bit more than what it did. Uh, once we left Europe, it was cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But, you know, it's you know, what, what are you making money for to experience life? So use it.
0: So what's the misconception, Brian? Is that you? It's going to be more expensive than what you think, or more expensive than what it is, rather?
3: No, I think uh, Grant is spot on. You modify it to what you um, can cope with. Um, So if you're on a really tight budget, well, yeah, you'll live that way. But you know, if you've got a little bit extra and you like a few of the comforts of life, that's what you'll do, and you'll find places. Um, But uh, I I think it is. People overestimate it, I think, um, uh, the cost of the travel. I mean, I, I always thought of it this way. What it costs you at home, and you could either double it or add 50% to that, uh, for a really good, comfortable trip, that's plenty.
0: Brian, do you think there's misconceptions about age when it comes to motorcycle travel?
3: Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I think anyone is capable of it at any age, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, we met a guy in Peru who had uh, done two or three bouncer cancer treatment and his family wanted him to stay home. He went and bought himself a little BMW 650 and he was cruising along by himself, going down to Machu Picchu. Uh, he said, well, I'm going to die someday and this is what I want to do. So, you know, to hell with it. Mm-hmm. And, All right, Girl. He was... You know, he had his health problems and he was staying in hotels and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, that's what he wanted to do with his life. So don't sweat the small stuff, you know, even if it is going to cost you an arm and a leg and you come back with a with a debt um, that you have to pay off and I think you did that, Grant. Well, so what? You know, that's life.
4: Yep, yeah, absolutely. The trick is to go and do what works for you. I mean, life is not here... You're not here to have a whole lot of money when you die. You're here to have uh, a good life, to maybe contribute something to the world, to the people around you, and to enjoy life. And if you want to go off and do something that everybody else thinks is crazy, go right ahead. Um, I'm always reminded of Simon Gandolfi, who at 80 was riding around South America. His family said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this stuff? And he says, well, what do you want me to do, sit at home and watch television? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> go, enjoy, have fun, do whatever works for you. You may go slower, and he was just riding a small bike. He rode a 250 because that was all he could handle. And for those who don't know Simon, think of Santa Claus on a 250 cc motorcycle riding around South America. <laughs>
0: and you've got Simon. Hang on, because he's giving things away, or he's got a big beard. No, no, <laughs> because <he's, laughs>
4: he is. Um, Generously proportioned, and a big white beard, and sweet <laughs> jolly guy He's just the nicest guy you'd ever meet. <laughs> and uh, that's just just his persona. He lost all his papers, and he put it partway through the trip. And he would pull into a border and say, "I haven't got any papers." And all the local, all the uh, customs guys would say,
0: "Don't worry, Grandpa, we'll take care of you."
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he made I it through just, the border. It's, it's, advantage.
3: it's because
0: they thought he was Santa on vacation. That's, That's obviously right. what they thought.
6: <laughs> the fact that he was wearing a red jacket must have
0: been <laughs> a, a confusing. Hey, Michelle, uh, how about you? Misconceptions. I was thinking of traveling alone as a woman. Are there misconceptions yeah, with that?
1: There are. I, I think a few of them. Um, one, that it's riskier. Uh, I think... It, I mean, obviously, that can go either way. It certainly can be... Traveling solo can be riskier than traveling in a group. It can be more enriching. But traveling as a woman solo, um, I have found, at least in my experience so far, I actually feel a bit safer because I really feel like people are looking out for me. They're very conscious of, you know, me being alone if I'm at a gas station filling up and people will come across the parking lot to say, hey, are you... Do you need directions? Do you know where you're headed? Are you doing okay? Do you have enough water? If I'm in another country, like going down to Baja or something, people will check in and just say, you know, do you speak the language? Are you doing okay? Is there anything we can assist with? And that will be other travelers. That will be overlanders. It could also be uh, locals. They'll just pop by to make sure I'm doing okay, which I really appreciate. So, you know, that's a that's really a misconception to think that in some ways I'm, I'm more at risk when I have felt historically like I'm actually getting, um, I I, I don't want to deny that there's potential risk to that. So I, you know, I'm not overlooking that. I travel with that in mind. But I really feel like in most cases, people are looking out for me more so. I get a little bit of extra care from locals, you know, a little wider berth when they're passing me, even on the highway, um, going around, just making sure that, you know, that I'm doing okay. And I think one of the other misconceptions that I, think of that pops in my head when I'm talking to travelers and they, they talk about doing a similar trip is a concern of not speaking a language. And that seems to slow a lot of people down when they're looking at traveling internationally. Oh, I, I don't speak the language. You don't really have to. I mean, I certainly make an effort to learn some of the basic phrases. And I think I've always said one of my first words that I ever learn in any language or phrases is thank you or please or where is something, but thank you is the first one. And I think it just sets the tone for, you know, you being polite, being respectful of their culture. If you were making any attempt to speak speak their language, that shows that you're interested in learning about them and you don't have to pronounce things correctly, just make an attempt. And oftentimes that's an icebreaker that will make them feel comfortable enough to start speaking English and kind of meet you halfway. Um, but I don't think that, you know, You really need much as far as language skills to travel to another country, some rudimentary vocabulary, and really just know that a lot, the the vast majority of the world speaks English. It is much more common than you think. So don't let that really, you know, be a barrier to you taking a look at travel.
6: I so good agree with team. you, Michelle. Yeah. Um, it's and and not being afraid of making a fool of yourself tags onto that, doesn't it? Because sometimes we get the pronunciation completely wrong, but it's the fact that you're trying that works yeah. so well. Um, yeah, no, and, and and it does make you friends very very quickly because of that word respect that you used in there. Um, it's it's good fun. You know, one of the one of my tips for people is um, learn how to say hello, please, thank you. Goodbye. Those basics, and if you if you can learn um, twenty key words of a language that you're coming to, and they can be the the respect words, um, the friendship words, but they can also be um, fuel, food. Um, well, uh, you know, a, a cheap hotel or whatever else it is. And once you start collecting those words together, you start to understand more of what people are, being, uh, are saying to you that's relevant to you. And that actually helps you to learn um, a language that much faster.
1: It's so true. Yeah. You can stop anywhere and say the word bathroom, and everybody knows you don't have to have a sentence. They know mm-hmm. you say that one word and they know what you need, or fuel, yeah. or hotel. Yep. As long as you're careful in yeah. South America, because you could be asking for the bank if you don't pronounce yeah, 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 it properly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> and, and of course, bathroom, toilet, restroom, you're going to have to figure out which one you should be asking for.
3: Right. Right. Charades really doesn't work with that
5: one. Well, you yeah. no, no, have that that, <laughs> we, no, no. that that no, we no. travel with um, Picture Talk. And it has a picture of someone um, sitting on a toilet so you know that you're looking for the toilet, but it also has a picture of, these are sketches, not photographs, I should say, yeah. uh, of someone <laughs> sitting on a toilet unable to stop going to the toilet, and another one of someone sitting on the toilet is obviously having difficulties going to the toilet, all of which are very helpful if you're trying to find a doctor or a chemist that can give you some medication to assist with um, <laughs> awesome. traveller's belly.
0: <laughs> not much, not much privacy left in that one, is there? When you're showing the picture around everybody. <laughs> so, Sam, what, 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 have you, what have you got for misconceptions about motorcycle travel?
6: uh That you have to be a great rider. Um, you don't. um You do need a full driving <laughs> license. Stop laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> We're not laughing I'm, at you,
1: Sam. I'm no, living no, no, proof, no,
6: no, Sam. No. I'm right there with you. <laughs> you. You just don't need a huge number of skills. You'll learn along the way. What you need is the basics and the full driving license, and that's such a, a good um, level to get to. But I do recommend having learned the hard way, Brian, um, that it's actually well worth getting some off-road training before you go. Because it's not only for the ro- um, the off-road sections, but much of the world is made up of developing countries, and roads can be atrocious, so, having the ability to deal with the slaloms around the potholes and the loose gravel and all of that sort of thing, your off road um, training will help you do that um, really well. So, it is worth doing. And another one is, you know. Oh, hang have on, to hang on. I
0: just, I just want to say in there that they're just going to throw in this little um, announcement that uh, the opinions of those people on this show are not necessarily the opinions of the show itself, and that we will not be held <laughs> legally bound for anything that may <laughs> transpire by following the advice of those people on this show. Up, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead.
6: It's funny, Jim. Why did you wait to say that until after I'd finished my sentence? Well, I just feel compelled to say that. (laughs) Oh, good on you, Jim. Um, I think the other one is that you don't. um, People think that you have to really know what you're doing with your motorcycle. You have to be a good mechanic. And um, I don't think you do. I think you have to know how to read a manual, um, that you have to know what are the vital spares, be patient. um, And. Don't be afraid of, of having a go. Um, and again, don't be afraid of um, asking for help. You know, one of the things for me, I because I was such a novice motorcyclist when I set off, I knew that the chances were that sooner or later I'd break down. And I was just going to sit by the side of the road and swap parts until something made it go. Um, but if that failed, then I was going to find a truck. And I'd put the bike on a truck and I'd get to the nearest big town or a city and then I'd find uh, a motorcycle mechanic somewhere. So it wasn't going to be a huge issue. Yeah, of course, I've learned a lot since those days and I feel a lot more peace of mind. But would I? do I think I should have let it stop me? No, no, go. Um, Just use common sense. I mean, Michelle's mentioned this several times um, so far in the show. Use common sense. Um, Be patient. Um, Think about what you're doing. Prepare. Um, And all of those sorts of things can get you through. Uh, Another um, misconception is, what other one did I have? Oh, yeah, that every day is going to be great. Well, that's completely unrealistic, isn't it? Um, Not every day is great. Some are really tough. But that old saying about the tough times, making the good ones better, um, is just so true, isn't it? And the point is that every day is going to have its moments of fascination. And the trick is to enjoy those and learn from the things that Don't work out. It's a case of keeping the scales in balance, Um, and if you do that, then the chances are that every day will be mostly a good day. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can go for weeks, can't you, Um, without anything going pear shaped? Um, Weeks and weeks, months. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah, months.
4: Yeah, Uh, and I, I just like to throw this little question to everybody: What is your guess on percentage of days? That are your of the percentage of days that are your stories. I'm willing to bet that eighty to ninety percent of your stories are about a problem, as opposed <laughs> to that was really
2: beautiful day.
0: Yeah, I, w- right? I, w- I, w- I would say eighty percent of your stories are from less than twenty percent, or even far less, maybe five uh, yeah. percent of of your experience.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. that
3: That'd be right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're out there to experience and you know, the love of life and experiencing different things. And that's what you're going to do. But you're doing it on a motorcycle, which you love. And you you love the wind in your hair and, you know, the rain and snow in your case, Jim, if you've got it <laughs> up
0: there. Yeah. And <laughs> but, wind in your hair, Brian. Yeah, exactly. oh, <laughs> oh, that's
4: that's what happens. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Too yeah. much wind. Wind took it I'll all.
6: What. What. <laughs> Brian. I mean, one of the beauties is if you're in a country where you're not wearing a crash helmet, which I mean, I always wear one anyway because I'm a bit of a wimp. But if you are, and you've got no hair, well, there's less slipstream, so your fuel consumption less, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> good point. Yeah, That's an, that's an interesting <laughs> that's point. Do I need are to repeat what about? I said earlier that the opinions are? people on this?
3: <laughs> you're talking about experience, you know. Sunday I went for a ride with um, a good mate, Grant, and another guy who's riding a almost a brand-new KLR, and we're doing some really gnarly trails. I mean, really gnarly, that four-wheel drives that struggle on. And um, I was a bit worried about um, this guy behind us here and uh, just to keep an eye on him and um, – he kept plugging away and and uh, he, was, he got through everything fine and we pulled up in the bush somewhere and just having a chat and he said, and Grant said to him, um, when you get a real off-road bike, you're going to be a handful. We won't be able to keep up with you. And he said, oh, my experience was um, going on a tour uh, doing 100 kilometers on dirt in Mongolia and that's it. And he said... Uh, I live in bliss, so I don't know that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just pushing <laughs> bike as hard to get going. And look, he's doing fine, just plugging away, doing his thing. And and you, know, you can get by with the right attitude, and, and Ian has that right attitude. So back to that misconception
0: bike. about the perfect bike. It's true. You don't need exactly. the perfect bike. Well, I mean, if, uh, Brian, no, you don't. Jim, think, think about burgers. Yeah. Um, there she is, um, 600
6: miles experience when we started riding together in, in Africa. And she's on a 1971 classic motorcycle that she can only get her toes on the ground um, from. Mm-hmm. And she, her comment yeah. was exactly yeah. as you just said, Brian. She didn't know how hard it was. She just yeah. got on with it. Yeah. She just got on
4: with it. Just did it. She mm-hmm. did it. Yeah, that's right. Having said that, rider training, off-road rider training is is golden, and it makes you so much more confident everywhere, not just off-road.
3: Mm-hmm. Over that's to you. Where I yeah, it's true. To,
4: that's where yeah,
3: I I, 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 I'd, agree, I'd agree with that. But, you know, we, we, we're traveling up to um, um, Prudhoe Bay, and we passed a guy on a gold wing riding on the dirt going up there, and he was, he was from Brazil, I think. And all right, we went past him. But next day, here he comes riding into Trudeau Bay and falling off about five or six times, picked the bike up and he was just pumping the air. Yes, I made it, I made it, I made it. <laughs> on a Goldwing. Yeah. He's heading from South America. Good on him. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Kind of takes the wind out of your sails though, doesn't it, Brian? <laughs> on, on your GS. You think you, <laughs> and the Goldwing pulls in. Least- it's like, what's the point?
5: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At what? least Jim...
0: The guy on the gold wing didn't pass us. If he passed us,
5: there would have been some
6: serious problems. Yeah, right. Anything else? There's another one. Go ahead. Yeah, there's another one here, Jim. um, That you have to wait for the right time to go. We sort of kind of touched it on, uh, touch base with, with Grant earlier on. Um, But there is seldom exactly the right time to go. I think there are some important things that are worth considering. And the weather patterns, for example, there is no point in heading into India in the middle of the monsoon. So I would certainly wait for that to be over and done with. But um, the right time to go is when you can get enough components in place um, to just think, right, okay, we've got a good chance of making this a success. Um, The chance of having everything that you want in place at the right time, um, well, at the same time, um, to make it the right time,
0: but it, well, it doesn't really happen. You can certainly understand the misconceptions, though, and how they can sort of play havoc with things and how they arise. Because the idea of raising enough money to go on a motorcycle trip, well, how much money do you need, Sam? Um, well, my budget was
6: seven US dollars a day.
0: So if you take that, then you just figure out how many days you're going to be, regardless of where you're going, and, and sort of get a rough estimate?
6: Yeah, but I knew that um, I, my budget, actually, I worked it out as double um, that when I started off. And that was literally a wet finger in the air. There was so little information around about how much it was going to cost and so on and so on. And of course, that's very different now. Um, but, you know, I was just careful and mm-hmm. um, I worked along the way.
0: But you made that budget before you left, though, right? That was that was a number you came up with out of your head.
6: Um, it was, but it was such a wet finger in the air because I didn't have a clue. I knew how much it would cost me to travel with a rucksack, um, and so I could spread that um, across, sort of. But the, the the wobbly factors for me were how long, how often was a bike going to break down and um, how thirsty was this thing going to be? And those sorts of things. They were, those were all unknowns.
0: Oh, okay. So you had a bit of a baseline. You were, you were basing it on on your previous travel experience and then sort of trying yeah. to factor in the motorcycle as the extra expense. But yeah. but you can imagine for someone who's never done any sort of trip at all, I mean, even if they're going up for a couple of weeks, um, well, that, maybe that doesn't really count. But I mean, if somebody's going on a longer trip... It, it can be daunting. So, I mean, that thing of, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to wait till you have, you know, a lot of money. Well, how much money do I need or, or the right bike? Well, what, what exactly will I need for a bike? So, you know, we can certainly understand all of us for that with, I think with, with these sort of misconceptions, of how easy it is to get caught up in them. Yep.
6: One of my tips for people is when you're planning to do a a long-term trip, let's say you you get two weeks holiday um, chunks and you can't get more than that. Go out and do a two-week trip, but with the mental attitude that you're actually heading out for much longer than that and instantly pair what you do down to what you think your type of travel is going to be like when you're on the long road. And when you do that, then start having a look to see what you're spending money on. Um, yes, of course, you can't fathom in breakdowns and that sort of thing, but you can, um, what's happening with your daily expenses and with your fuel consumption and things like that. And that is such a good way to start working out how much a big trip is likely to cost. And another way that you can um, start working out your budget is find out how much your visas are going to cost, how much um, it's going to cost you to get your, your bike from one tra- one continent to the next. Those sorts of things, you can do those in, in advance, Um they can be a real help.
3: Yeah, that's true. And then work out your daily costs after that. And the other thing is, you know, consumables like tyres, you know, where you're going to get tyres or how long will a tyre last, you know, mm-hmm. those hideys I put on, you know, because you're not you're not going 10 tents and blokes, you know, say, oh, yeah, I only got 5,000 miles out of my tyres because I go so hard. Yeah, well, good on you, mate. But, you know, when you're traveling, you're no. trucking along at, you know, something like, um, uh, you know, 80, 90 kilometres an hour enjoying the scenery, well, your tyres are going to last. I think i got over 35,000 k's out of the front tyre, you know, just because you're not, you're not going 10 tenths all the time.
6: Yeah, that's great. Absolutely spot on. And that's part of what I mean about when you head off for your two-week trip, get yourself in the mental attitude of this is how I'm going to travel when I'm on the road because uh, the just tyre wear and everything else like that. I had um, 21,000 miles out of a front tyre. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. About the same, yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's amazing. Wow. But that's what happens when you're not jamming on the anchors and when you're not pulling away at speed all of the time and um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, it's, yeah, you learn these things.
4: You know, the difference in tire mileage between 50 miles an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, and 80 miles an hour, or 120K, is huge. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah, double. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, of course, your fuel mileage is much better. And guess what? The bike wears out less. Everything wears less. So it's going to last a lot longer and you're going to save a lot of money that way. And I think doing that two-week trip is is virtually a requirement for anybody sensible, I think, to prepare for a trip. Because it's not just, as Sam was saying, to figure out your budget, but it's also to figure out what are you taking? Mm -hmm. Do you really enjoy unpacking and repacking all that stuff that you thought you had to have every day? It gets tiresome redoing your bungee cords and straps and trying to figure out where to put it. It drives you crazy. At the end of two weeks, you'll find you really didn't use a lot of stuff and it's all going to migrate to the bottom of your saddlebags. You don't Mm -hmm. need that much stuff.
5: We always have a rule grant. If it it doesn't get used on the trip, it doesn't get taken on the next one. Apart from the bloody tire tire pliers. pliers. (laughs) 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 And the first aid kit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
4: got to have a first aid kit. Uh, What is so much stuff you just don't need? What about you, Michelle?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I was just sitting here thinking of a couple of other misconceptions. um, Just about, yeah, I think before I went, and I've taken a couple of solo trips fairly recently in the last couple of years, people wonder if that's lonely, um, if I'll be lonely when I'm traveling on the road. And that is something that I have, uh, honestly, I don't think ever run into. I find that when I'm traveling solo in particular, but even also with, you know, just a handful of travelers, you find other people see you as very approachable and it's a conversation starter. And I find ways to interact, whether it's in a hostel or a campground um, or meeting other travelers or just, you know, in passing at a restaurant. Um, So, definitely not something that I ever find as, as the case for me is that I get lonely when I'm out on the road. Is that, um,
0: yeah. uh, is that um, something that you make work or would that be a general misconception? Because here's, here's my thought process. Like, if you go out with Maybe. the wrong attitude and you think that I'll, I'm going to be lonely on the road and then when people approach you, you don't really want to talk to them because you don't trust them, you're paranoid, et cetera, that, you, you right. can sort of fulfill your own prophecy there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So so, so you need yeah. to have that attitude that you're talking about. You know, you you go out and you're, you're meeting people and you, you um, sort of welcome that interaction.
1: Very much so. You know, and I think the same can be true of, of a couple different things that we've talked about. You can be lonely at home. I mean, I can be lonely yeah. on the road. I could be lonely at home. It depends very much on your attitude. And the same is true about, you know, having a good day or thinking that you're not going to have bad days. I have bad days at home and I'm going to have bad days on the road. Those things happen, um, but it's it's really about how you cope with those, and it is very much. It's a great point, Jim. It's about your attitude. And I go out into the world, you know, looking for conversations. I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily start conversations, but I'm approachable, and I'll certainly engage in a conversation. You know, it, it, you know, if it's like at a local market or in a cafe or something, I I look forward to that, asking about a local community. Or asking about a certain type of food. It just opens the door to an interaction with a local.
0: So that sends us back to our common traits and characteristics that we talked about. But the other thing is, I really, I, I think it's really interesting what you just said there, is you don't really go out and look for conversations. That, I think, is probably for someone who is is like you or, or is that type of person that doesn't feel comfortable approaching people and nattering away. You know, if you're not comfortable with that, that's sort of that's a that's a um a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, is what you just said. You you by being alone, you're approachable. So I mean, uh, that could be another misconception is the fact that because I'm not a very outgoing person that I'm not uh, equipped for motorcycle travel and you're sort of proving that wrong.
1: That's a great point. I hadn't thought of it like that, but it is very true.
0: What's the other one you had?
1: Um just you know, one of the things that I get asked a lot about is whether or not Being on this type of trip is a vacation, uh, both from other travelers. Oh, I I would like to go for a ride like that. It sounds like a great vacation. Well, I I want to be sure that people are aware. And obviously, there's so many variables to the way that you travel, the amount of time you're going to be out on the road, where you're riding, if you're with company or solo, what your skill set is as far as working on your bike um your comfort level traveling in another country, if you're crossing land borders, et cetera. Just know that there's some work to it. And I I never saw it as a vacation. I saw it as a way of living. But there were actually days in my week that I would schedule for what I called admin days. And I picked that up from a fellow traveler named Pete from the UK. Super nice guy, but he would always say, Oh, you know, I can't do something such and such today. I I've got an admin day. So he was planning routes. He was working on banking or paying bills or keeping up with emails or you know sorting his next country's visa or doing maintenance on his bike and there's there's chores just like anything else it is just a different way of living when you're doing long term travel so it isn't really what you see as a vacation you're not at the spa and having umbrella drinks and at the beach i mean there's a lot of sweaty days and cold days and a lot of work so just you know something to keep in mind i think that could be a misconception
6: that's such think, a good one, Michelle.
4: Yeah, I think something to go with that is that a phrase that I've used is you need a vacation from the vacation.
6: Mm-hmm. You need
4: <laughs> a day off where you're not doing admin days and you're not traveling. You're just you're sitting there with a drink with a, an umbrella in it. You've know, you got to relax. Take your day off. You, you need to do that. You can't work, travel, work, admin days and ride seven days a week nonstop. You just can't do it. You need
3: time off.
2: That's, doing, not that's,
3: that's not every day, sure. That's not every day, sure.
0: All right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really to the point of what Michelle is saying, isn't it? Uh, you know yeah. about the the fact that it, I guess it is. It is sort of a vacation, but it's not what you picture as a as a regular vacation. Um, bit of a working vacation. Yeah.
6: <laughs> there's a there's a price that you pay for living constantly in the land of the unknown. I like that. Yeah. 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 Well, same. good
0: so- enough
2: price.
5: One thing I just um, wanted to say is that you need to do, you know, the misconception is you've got to take everyone's advice and, you know, someone's done it the trip this way so that's the right way. You have to do what you're comfortable with. Yeah. You yeah. know, some people love travelling on their own and um, are very capable of travelling on their own like Michelle and there are other people who the last thing they want to do is travel on their own because they feel the need to have maybe another – couple with them or, you know, two or three mates and then they might split and go another way. Some people think you must always camp and that if you don't camp, you're not doing it right. Other people don't want to camp at all or want to mix the two. There is no right or wrong. It's how you feel comfortable doing your trip is the most important thing. And as Grant always says, just get out there and have a trip. Just mm-hmm. go somewhere, enjoy yourself. You know, when we were talking about everything's locked down, borders cl- closed, just go where you can and, and do what you can, enjoy what you can. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Excellent
6: that.
0: point. Yeah, that, that's really
6: good. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that just popped into my mind as Shirley was saying that was when you set out, you have an idea in your mind about how you're going to deal with the situations and what your trip's going to be like as you learn um, one of the things you learn is that perhaps your um, your preconceptions are completely wrong. In other words, a shy person suddenly and really, really enjoys being on their own because of exactly the sort of relationships that spark up that Michelle's just been talking about. It's one of the beauties of travel, finding out who we are as individuals.
0: And and to what Shirley was saying, I think that's really a, applicable in so many areas because people often get hung up on on the lists. You know, they, they look and they th- say, I've got this motorcycle. What are the list of mods I have to do? They, they might follow somebody, read somebody's book and say, oh, I, I've got a pack, you know, the same as them. And I, th- I think that's just... Really, really a good point that Shirley made there about that there is no right and wrong way. These are just ideas and that people have come up with and that they've done it one way. Well, you can do it a different way and, and have just as much fun or, or more from your perspective. So I think that's really important.
6: I think the people who share um, information, that's great. But again, it comes down to you as an individual working out what works for you. Uh, Shirley Spahn. I think one
4: of the things that goes with that, I was sparked by what you're saying a little bit earlier, um, what this vision you have in your mind of the trip. And that's really important that you have a fairly clear vision to start or else you wouldn't start. But if you're going with somebody else, especially a spouse, make sure that your visions are the same. These things need to be worked out in advance. And that is a misconception that I think people forget about it's easy to have a misconception about what your partner is thinking mm-hmm.
6: and you, you're absolutely right Grant. i've got three different um, pairs of friends who uh, have exactly done that they've gone out full of the buzz of going on a trip together but they haven't actually worked out what the what they want as individuals out of it but i see that happen not, not, not only as um, a couple but i see it happening um, with a couple of mates who head mm-hmm. out Um yes. they haven't really worked out what the other one wants
0: even on shorter trips, you, you make the misconception that, well, we're all, we're all on motorcycles. We all want to do this trip. Obviously, we're all going to want to do the trip the same way. And, and it doesn't work that way.
4: Yeah. I know a guy that I've been riding with since, well, since I was about 17. Um, we have completely different ideas about what three or four days off in the backcountry looks like.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Completely different. You know, he'll stop and sit there for three hours and contemplate kind of plays the navel or whatever he's doing. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> I
3: want to just ride. <laughs> After 60 years, you reckon we'll work that out,
4: Greg?
0: Well, thanks, Brian. I was still caught up in the math.
4: <laughs> it's less than 60 years, Brian.
3: <laughs> Quite a bit less. <laughs> yeah, it's totally different ways of going. You get traveling with a partner or whatever, and we do it all the time. It's all about communication, and it depends on the day and where you are. Sometimes there's nothing to see or sometimes something surely really, 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 really wants to do something. Well, it's just about communication. We say, yeah, okay, fine. We'll take an extra day or we won't travel where we were thinking of doing. We'll go and do that. Yeah. Uh, you just got to be a little bit flexible like that.
5: Not every twisty road has a museum or an art gallery at the end of it. It does. <laughs> yeah, it
3: be
4: open to serendipity. You never know what will pop up. Somebody That's will tell oh. you
3: about that is. That's the carrot oh, car- wow. well yeah. car- <laughs> I put out at the end of every twisty race. I said, sure, there'll be a nice museum around the corner, an art gallery or something.
5: <laughs> and the yeah, thing yeah, about it, <laughs> you do have to be open. And I think with the um, couples travelling, and we, we've heard stories and we know people who've broken up after trips, but you just wonder would they have broken up if they'd stayed at home? Quite yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, just would have taken so, longer
0: yeah isn't it the isn't it the ultimate pressure cooker or the, or the test sort of thing you know I remember we, we had an episode where we had a couple on I wish I could remember the name Sam you probably know them um they they went around uh, and they they their trip was about talking to people about marriage and what keep makes a successful marriage um, yeah do you know the people I'm talking about I've heard of them. Yeah, the, the story rings a bell. Yeah, it yeah. does, but I can't remember the names. But but an interesting thing. But but I mean, a trip like that. I mean that that puts all the pressures on the relationship. The the lack of personal space, the lack of, of a personal time, um, and and uh, being stressed out. You know, when when decisions come up or when problems come up, being stressed out and having to work together, all that sort of thing, all the things that you have to deal with in a marriage, but really compressed into a, in a short time with, and probably with a higher pressure. And uh, yeah, it has to be the ultimate test. And maybe that is the ultimate test for people. You want to know if your marriage is going to work? Go on a motorcycle trip together.
5: (laughs) (laughs) But you can still have personal space and personal time. You know, Grant always talks about having the the holiday away from your holiday. Um, Well, what's to stop? You know, I want to go and do something like a museum or an art gallery. I go off and do that for a day. and, And Brian will, you know, work on the bike or something that he, he wants to do, or you just resort to your corners, revert to your corners with your book or your music and just chill out and have a little time away.
0: Yeah. But I'm referring to those times where you've ridden a long day to get somewhere. You're not as far as you're supposed to be. It seems like you're lost. It's starting to get dark and you've got a problem. You know, you've got stuck somewhere because you went down a spot that you probably shouldn't have went into. That's when the pressure cooker's on.
5: (laughs) Yeah, then you abuse the crap out of each other and the next day hopefully everything <laughs> will be a bit calmer. Right. and if it works out,
0: then you know you're meant to be together. It's the ultimate test. <laughs> we had
3: a night when um, we were riding through uh, the mountains of Columbia, sure, I remember, and it was pretty scary. You know, just us and trucks on the road and, you know, not much light and all the rest of it. And sure, I was a little bit anxious but, you know, I just calm it down and say, okay, when we get to the next town, you know, we'll look for somewhere to stay. And it took us ages to get there, but it's just,
0: you know, you work together. That's, that's, that's the trick. Brian, can you talk about anxious? <laughs> uh, nah, maybe really. maybe, we <laughs> maybe we should leave it there maybe we should leave it there we'll, we'll take sure. a break and we'll come back and we're going to talk about something else this episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk fresh tracks has been around since the 90s and they work with companies or groups to inspire motivate challenge and build communication skills through team building exercises they work with companies like mars pfizer yahoo comic relief so um if you have a company you might want to look at FreshTracks, freshtracks.co.uk. Thank you very much, FreshTracks. We have a question from a fellow named Ralph Duper. First of all, he sends a message, says, love your show and please say hi to the whole crew. So this is me saying hi to the whole crew from Ralph. Hey,
1: Ralph.
0: Hey, Ralph. So there's two two questions here with this. The first one is, um, and I'm just going to read what he wrote here. I've always wondered how you'll do your dishes after meals. I usually carry a small bottle of Dubro to clean plates and a brush for, uh, for cleaning plates to clean plates and for cleaning plates. But in any case, but he's never gone for more than a week. So Dubro, what what is Dubro? Does anybody know what Dubro is? We'll come back to that. So he's looking for um, some stories and experiences on that topic. The other one is, uh, the question that goes along with it, when preparing meals, what do you guys use? A campfire, a gas stove, et cetera, et cetera. So campfire, gas stove, what are you cooking on and what are you using to clean? Does anybody know know what Dubro is? Anyone use that?
6: Never heard of it. I had to look it up. I've never heard of it What is it? Concentrated dish cleaner. Mm.
1: Okay. Oh, some that's it, what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah some of it comes in um,
6: liquid form, um, and some of it's for um, dishwashing machines. So, yeah, I learned nice bit of advertising for them.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, but well,
4: try and replacing it though. My comment on that would be, just use dish soap because you can. I, I have many times walked into the kitchen of a place I'm staying and say, with my little tiny container, "Do you got some dish soap?" put in here and they always, they laugh and they fill you up and it's good enough. It's fine. And it's free. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I've actually spent uh, a couple of years shopping for dish soap in various countries around the world.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, it, yeah. And I, I, what I like about having a small bottle of dish soap, I'll actually buy whatever size I can find. And I used to travel with a small refillable plastic bottle and, um, and I would buy a larger bottle, fill it up, and actually donate then the balance of the dish soap that I had left over to wherever I was staying, which they appreciated. And You're I much used it for, person
4: than I am, Michelle.
1: Well, <laughs> no, there's no right or wrong. You've got <laughs> to work with everything. But I used it for multipurpose, purpose too. I used it and not me myself, but um, traveling. You can use it for changing tires, as you know for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very useful for that searching for leaks. Um, but I used it for laundry too. I had to be a little bit careful of that because some of the dish soaps were really, I don't know what, I don't want to use the word corrosive, but very strong. And they would actually take some of the dye out of clothing. So t-shirts would fade a little bit over time, but it was just something I was aware of. So, Mm. um, I did use dish soap. I carried a half of a small household size sponge. So I cut it in half. And I had a 10 liter collapsible sink. And I used, I actually carry two of them. One is for dishes, but I I use that collapsible sink just for a number of things, carrying water to put out a campfire, carrying water to wash the bike, um, just carrying things in general. It doesn't even have to be a liquid. But I would wash them by hand, even if it wasn't You know, it was just well out or excuse me, well water or water out of a hydrant that I knew wasn't potable. I still washed my dishes in it and then usually set them out on the rack of my bike or on a rock or someplace to dry. Um, But it was pretty simple. So collapsible sink, a little bottle of soap and a um, small sponge that I used for for dishes.
0: You can wash your hair with dish soap.
1: Mm, I chose not to.
6: No, I mean, if, very if, it was, was, Michelle.
1: if it was taking the dye out of my shirt, I was afraid it would be a little too hard on my hair and I have long hair. So that would be pretty drying and yeah, too harsh.
0: I guess I, I I don't have long hair, so I don't have to worry about that. But I mean, I, I've used it for, for everything, for washing everything. It's great for washing your hands, get for, great for getting grease off your hands. And I was going to mention a little tip. We also mm-hmm. carry a collapsible bucket. Um, You can get them all different sizes. It's best to get a, a like look at your plates and make sure they're actually going to fit in there with using it to, to haul water. Any, anyway, you should always wash the bucket out because it builds up grease and stuff from washing your dishes in. So if you're going to carry your fresh water with it, you want to give it a good scrub, the, the bucket itself, to make sure you keep it clean. And anybody else? What, what are you using to clean your dishes? We do pretty similar, but I, I don't like using a sponge
4: because sponges, I've been told, are a great way to harbor all kinds of bad stuff that grows in there. I just use a rag. Um, like a, a small dish rag and that works just great and you can definitely dry it out thoroughly so in the sun with everything else drying but basically it's, yeah same thing
6: mhm yeah, we use um one of the green scrubby um sponges but um it, when if we're um, washing clothes then uh, we'll you know when we when we put the, the clothes through the first wash then we'll we'll give it a good wash in, in that um and every so often we'll just boil it For a few minutes, and that gets rid of any of the gunk from it.
0: I thought you were going to say you use your clothes to wash the dishes because it's a double purpose thing, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hardcore, Jim.
6: Hardcore, definitely. That's a good idea,
0: actually, though. You think about it.
6: Mm. I don't know what you
3: guys guys are talking about. You know, if if you're traveling with mates, what are dishes? What do you want to do them for? You know, eat out of the cave. Eat out of the cave.
0: So, so you're one of those guys who just puts the like pops a little hole in the can, puts it down on the on the exhaust, and uh, rides with that for a while, and then opens the can up.
2: There
3: you go. I, I, I've seen I've seen guys do that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. you know, we we actually met some guys traveling across the Simpson Desert on um, trail bikes, and they were uh, all they had was backpack and no backup vehicle or anything like that, and they were eating um, those you know, those small cans of tuna. Uh-huh. That's all they had. To go across the desert with. And um, they would actually crush their cans up and take it with you because you can't leave anything in the desert, you'd take it out with you. We were in a four wheel drive, so we took their rubbish for them. But um, yeah, look, you know, depends how you're traveling and who you're traveling with. And when uh, Michelle mentioned about uh, using dishwashing liquid to wash your clothes and I'm thinking, if that's taking dye out of your clothes, imagine washing your smalls in that and putting it on your skin. I, does doesn't mm. doesn't feel good to me? Mm. Don't like that. But you can get um,
4: hard soap, uh, like a brick of soap that's designed for washing your hair. Places like, um, oh, what do you call it? Oh <inaudible> yeah yeah yeah
3: yeah.
4: Oh, I can't even remember the name of the place now. But anyway, it's all over the world. Um, brick soap that works just great on your hair, lasts forever, and you can also use it for washing your clothes, and it does just yeah. fine. Yeah, uh, Yeah. That's mm-hmm. very compact and it lasts for a long, long time. It's amazing how long it lasts. And so that's the way to go.
5: And if you if you're camping in wilderness areas, you you should think about what you're putting into the water that you're tossing yeah, out of that bucket. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're putting some some really harsh soap in it, when you should be looking at something that's a bit more um, environmentally friendly.
0: Yeah, you shouldn't okay. even be putting soap at all. I mean, I'm glad you said that, but you shouldn't even be putting soap at all directly into the water. A lot of people think that it's a good idea to jump in and soap up, uh, you know, as far as their their body goes. No. And it, because it's to, they're using biodegradable soap, but the problem is a lot of the, depending where you are, but a lot of the lakes um, it, that are small lakes, they're oxygen deprived already and when you put in this the stuff that's biodegradable it degrades and uses up the oxygen that it sort of depends on especially during the summer months again depends on where you are but um it's it's very very bad so obviously your 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 soap and everything should be taken your water should be taken out of the lake use your soap in the water and then pour it on the ground where it's going to to filter back through into the the ground Like, look, seri-
3: yeah, seriously, Jim. When, I, when I've been camping, with them, when I was a kid, we never took anything like that. We used actually used to use sand, you know, just a bit of water and a bit of sand to rub mm-hmm, over yep. your plate and stuff like that, and clean your plate that way, and then just yep. wash it off.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention sand as, a, as one. Of the, the 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 where sand sort of comes up short, it's a lot more difficult is when it's greasy. Yeah, I've used yeah, it sure, a bit, yeah, sure, sure. when it's Doesn't greasy, work. it's tough. It it it, you, it does work eventually, but it takes a long, long time. But again, that's yeah, that's sure. in the water, and technically, you know, you shouldn't be doing it in the water, right? You got to take it out and do it. Yeah, yeah, that's one, right. One
6: of the one of the things that we do is when we're cooking, let's say um, a rot, um, a pasta and um, a, a stew mix or something like that. Um, I'll put the stew mix onto the plate first. Um, Whereas at home, I would put the pasta onto the plate and then put the stew mix or whatever on top of it. But by putting the stew onto the plate first, um, then um, I can pour the hot water from uh, the pasta, drain it into the stew pan and give that a really good shake around while it's still hot and um, then pour that away and that makes a big difference too. Um, and if we're somewhere where there is grass and not only sand, um, then I'll take a chunk of grass, a handful of grass and I'll wipe yeah. the worst of the grease and so on and the food scraps out with the grass before, um, you know, then um, using, um, you know, scrubby sponges and, and soap and so on. Um, if the worst comes to the worst and we're in a somewhere where we're just really short of water, then I'll use disinfectant wipes but that doesn't happen very often. I do have a mate who believes that um, in the power of ants. And um, yeah. he remote camps a <laughs> lot and he just leaves his pants out and lets the ants have a go at them.
0: That, that's oh. a, a good idea. You could let the animals come and lick the plates as well. So leave the food on the plates and put outside your tent. And does then whatever animals that in animals, what does. Canada yeah. worked very I well think for him until against- a bear visited one night. That's right. Grand's yes, training right goes it. against that. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Bears <laughs> have big tongues; they'll lick that up in no time
4: at all. Yep, <laughs> yes, and then they'll look for more. <laughs> wow! Um, a little tip What's from us that we together. came to: we uh, have given up on plates; just use a bowl. That's it. Yeah, we. Yep. Yeah. You've got to have a bowl yeah. along anyway, because you're going to have all kinds of stuff that works only in a bowl, like soup. But. Um, Everything else will toss in there too, just fine. So, no plates makes it a lot less, a lot more compact, a lot easier to clean. One, just one thing to clean. How about cooking? Uh, Campfire, gas stove? Campfire, forget it. Gas stove.
6: Hang on a minute. Um, Brian got to hit the nail on the head here. I mean, solar, it's just fantastic. As you're riding along, you know, you just put your you take the label off your tin can and strap it onto the back of the bike, and um, it's hot by the time you get somewhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. There's right. there's
4: tales of the guys with the uh, B- old Airhead BMWs. They put a little pot on the uh, on a rack on the just above the cylinder head. So that mm-hmm. by the time they got somewhere, the tea's ready. Yep, you can do that. But a lot of bikes yep. these days, there's so much plastic covering it, you can't even find the engine.
0: <laughs> and it, it could also end up being a little gritty. <laughs>
6: There is a guy no, I met but- at um, Horizons Unlimited in California, and I think um, it might have been a triumph that he was riding. I uh, can't remember for sure. I'll have to hunt this out. But um, he cut a, a side, um, like, like um, a cupboard door into the side of his plastic and put a shelf <laughs> inside. And um, <laughs> he, he just tucked his tin cans in there right next door to the, uh, to the engine, closed the door, and, um, yeah, off he rode.
0: You got to poke a hole, though. I mean, you can't just put a tin can on and and let it boil. That's that's a bit of a problem.
6: (laughs) But I mean, you heard about about (laughs) Kevin and Karen who rode around the world on their motor Guzzi. And um, Kevin uh, made an attachment to fit on top of their cylinders. That was a pot um, with a a lid, you know, like a normal cooking pot. But he adapted it so he could put his stew or whatever inside the pot and um, have it heating up as he was riding. But um he fitted um a, a twister um into a knob with um with a sort of spatula type thing underneath it. And um he could just lean down while he was riding and just give the stew a quick
0: turn. Um so never <laughs> <possibly. I laughs>
4: know, he never possibly cunnings. That bike was so
3: amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, Superb wasn't so it? So many thoughts. Well, I knew the cylinder heads were there for a reason. Yep.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, a mate of mine, my good mechanic friend, Phil, he actually makes what they call toaster racks for BMWs so that go over the top of cylinders uh, for people to carry things on, but they would be perfect to heat things
0: up. So you just pull over and you put your toast on there and you rev the engine? <laughs> wait, for your, wait for your toast.
6: <laughs> I knew a guy who would cook a fish dinner on, on his engine. <laughs> Really? He'd buy fresh fish and he'd wrap it in tinfoil and he'd stick it on top of his engine and off they'd go. Are we getting a big stream here off the beaten track? Because
0: I use a multi-fuel burner. I'm not really yeah. sure what you're saving doing <laughs> all of this. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, it's just entertaining. <laughs> it's a it? story. It's a story. That's exactly. You got it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. right. Good point. So so gas stove? Yeah, multi-fuel stove. Yeah, multi-fuel Which is, that's important to recognize if you're going to buy a gas stove is that if you don't want to be stuck burning white gas or, you know, your special fuel that you have to get one that has different jets so you can burn different kinds of fuel.
4: Yeah. But using the fuel out of your bike, the the jets have to be cleaned so much more often. It's such a pain in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. But it it does work. It does mean that you can, you don't have to carry separate fuel. For short trips, like week-long trips or 10-day trips, I will use a butane stove. And that works great, so much easier.
6: Short trips are great for that, but the the problem is the gas canisters um, are big. You can't always find them, and when you go across borders from one country to the next, quite often the fittings don't match. Yep. So and we use everywhere. them for short trips just because it's, they're quick and it's clean and it's easy and so on. But for um, a longer trip, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has to be um, something like, um, um, you know, Whisper Light or something like that. I had an Optimus Hunter stove at the beginning of the trip. Oh, wow. This thing was absolutely fantastic. cost me a fortune, but all of the, um, the reviews and everything that I'd read about it were absolutely spot on. And it worked phenomenally well in spite of the fact that it sounded like a jet engine burning. Mm. So it wasn't something you could use easily in a um, um, little hotel or something. And um, the way it worked... Meant that when it was burning, the pressure built up inside the the brass canister that you put your fuel in, and it it just. Hammered the the flame out so, under so much pressure that it really did sound like a jet engine, and you could walk down a corridor of a hostel or a hotel and you could know who was illicitly cooking in their room just by the sound.
0: We yep. we had we yep. bought uh, like for our outfitting company at one point we ended up buying some whisper light uh, MSR whisper light I think is what it was I'm trying to think of the name I think mm-hmm. it was yeah. whisper light it was that's so it. Yeah. unbelievably <laughs> loud that people would complain about the noise <laughs> this thing just sounded like a jet going off
4: great stove yeah, yeah that's, that's what it. we travel with yeah but go I, I got so tired of cleaning the jets and those things in Africa it was just mm. I mean I would yeah, have to clean the jet yeah I'd have to burn the clean the jets twice in a meal It was just ridiculous. oh that's a lot oh, that's
0: yeah. that's wow. that's more than what well, I've had experience that's with. Africa That might explain
1: a lot because I had mine for two years and never cleaned it once. I had, (laughs) I cleaned a Whisperlite or sorry, carried a Whisperlite too. And I thought at the time there were two models, uh, Whisperlite Standard and a Whisperlite International. There is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my International was the one that I ran with um, a can of petrol, just like I had for my motorcycle. And then it had sort of a hand pump that you'd pressurize the canister Yep. So you poured fuel into it, pumped it up, then connected it to the stove. And that seemed to work great. I really liked mm-hmm. the idea of sharing fuel and knowing that, I, you know, any country that I was traveling through, if I could find petrol, I had all I needed. I didn't have to find a second kind of fuel.
6: Mm-hmm. And they worked great at altitude, don't, at altitude, don't they?
1: Yes. Yes, it yeah, yeah. it did. Yeah, it always worked great.
6: Was the gas in Africa,
4: the petrol in Africa was so bad when we were there. Or that was 97. Um, I was just cleaning constantly. South America, it was fine. It still worked great, but not in Africa. But things have changed. Everybody's getting better, cleaner gas everywhere now, so it should be better now.
6: So the the octane of the fuel in Africa was just miserable, wasn't it? And you just wondered how your bike was actually running on this stuff. Uh, Overheating all of the time, pinking like mad because of the low octane. Mine was Uh,
4: dual plugs, so it actually worked pretty well.
6: I didn't know about things like that. And uh, cooking on a campfire, that can that can also work. I have fr- um, friends, Ashley and Donna, who I met in the first year of the trip, and they did their, their ride up through um, Africa just cooking on twigs. And literally, they would just scrap around and they would find twigs, no, no chunks of wood or anything else like that, literally just twigs and sometimes bits of straw and all of the rest of it. And they would cook proper meals on this. They were masters of the one-pot cooking style. And they were using local produce and all of that sort of stuff, and uh, yeah, they could they could do very well. And of course, they were saving on the space and weight of um, carrying stoves and all of that sort of thing. But their one key was that they had um, a thicker-bottomed pan, um, so and they would cook elevated above the coals. So they would also find three rocks or something like that, and they never cooked actually in the fire or on the coals. And uh, yeah, they did really well. Has anybody ever tried cooking on um, a Swedish-style log?
0: No, Man, I haven't. No. Do I've... you guys know what this is? Nope, no, not. Are you talking okay. about making a slit in it? Yeah, that's right.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, I met somebody when I was in the states last time, and um, he carried an axe, just a, you know, just a small one, sort of thing that you can hang on your belt. And uh, when he arrives at a camping site or something like that, um, he would buy a log, or you know, from a neighbor or from the store or whatever. Um, And he would split this log down the middle. And um, when he would cut a notch um, out of the top um, flat edge of of both sides, and then uh, he had a length of wire and he would um, strap the log together again. He'd stick some um, twigs and straw and that sort of thing and the notch that he'd created in the top of the log set that fire. And once the the log itself was burning, he just put his pan on that. And this, yeah. This thing just worked phenomenally,
0: yeah. It's a there's a couple of different or a bunch of different methods for doing that, but you need a very dry, like has to be seasoned wood. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not you're, you're not yep. going to go hunt around, very unlikely you're going to go hunt around and find that on the ground. No, that's right, yeah. That's that's interesting. Uh, I have a little folding stove, I think I've mentioned it before. A little folding one, and it's my favorite stove, actually. You unfold it and you you put sticks in it. And light your fire and away it goes because it's, it's set up like a little bit of a chimney. It creates a draft. Great thing to, to cook on. It's, it's, it's really neat. But the, one of the big things I was going to mention with cooking over the open fire usually is, and I know you said your friends were using small twigs, but usually it's to get coals going, right? And, and mm-hmm. then cook on the coals because then you don't end up with burnt food and it's a little bit more even heat.
6: Yeah, but even then, not directly onto, onto the coals, yeah, which is a mistake point. a lot of people make. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, elevated above, there's loads of heat coming out of that. Even if you've only got half a dozen coals underneath, it's quite incredible how much heat there is, more than enough to cook. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a, it's a type of cooking, well, I guess really all camp cooking is, but but especially when you're using that, it's type of cooking you're hands-on. You can't walk away from that.
4: Nope. And you have to have patience in the first place to get it to the coals. That's where I always go wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and that I goes back to our common traits.
4: Yes, indeed it does. Nice <laughs> segue.
0: <laughs> 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 well, anyone else, any ideas of uh, of washing their dishes? I think we've, we've sort of washed that to death, haven't we? We'll
1: wash it. I, had, oh, clean up. I have one thing I did want to say about that, um, just because I was thinking of it as we were talking. I learned um, just by trial and error, I had some algae growing in the drinking tube of my camelback. And so I did start carrying a specific, like a pipe cleaner. It's a really long handled brush um, that can slip through. There's a special brush for the bladder, for any kind of, you know, drinking or hydration system. And then a long handled brush that goes up through the drinking tube. And there's some fizzy tablets you can carry as well. Not that, you you want to or need to, but when you're traveling for the long-term, it's something to be aware of. You can have algae growing in those things and that's something that can affect your health. So just be aware of that.
0: Mm, That's a really good point. It's really gross, but I've ended up having to replace the tubes before just to, yeah, yeah. you can't get it out there, but I like the idea of of a little cleaner. Is that one that you bought specifically for this? Is it it from the, the manufacturer?
1: it was oh, okay. i found the manufacturer of my hydration pack and that's the brand that i bought
0: mm,
4: yeah. okay. camelback makes a kit for that it comes with everything two brushes mm. and a and the fizzy tablets
2: oh okay yeah per- perfect
6: and if you run out of the tablets then buy bicarbonate of soda yeah exactly yeah
4: yeah and the main thing i find is drain the thing dry regularly and let it dry of leaving it partially wet all the time, yeah, that's Give the it tough thing to and let it dry.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens pretty fast too, doesn't it? When it's hot out, sure. boy, it happens pretty quick.
1: Yeah, and it depends on how much sun you're you're getting on. is particularly that drinking tube. If it's out catching sun as you're riding, that can be more inclined to grow some algae or bacteria in it.
2: Yep. Yeah,
4: that's the ones that really dr- what point. drives me crazy is a lot of those drinking tubes, or some of them have. Um, a neoprene sleeve on the outside, which is mm. supposed to insulate it. Well, yeah, but they make it black. So what yeah. happens? It gets hot. <laughs> good if you a want a shower, to that, not though. so
0: good for drinking.
4: No, but it, it, there is actually a trick to make that water taste better. Blow into it, blow that hot water back into the bladder and then take a suck rather than just try to suck down that hot water. It makes a big difference.
0: That's called backwash, yeah. isn't
4: it?
3: Yes, it's yours. it's yours, it's all your water, it's all your backwash. Uh, I, I suck it out, Grant, um, and then um, spit it out and my mates
6: following um, get
2: <laughs> Just such like a just generous guy,
6: Brian, I'm in a free shower for, for your mates, how cool is that?
0: Wow, well shall we go into plugs? I think we will. Yeah, why not? Shirley, what have you got for a plug?
5: Funny you should mention that, Jim. Really? <laughs> I actually have a plug today, and it's a plug for Sam and his book, The Moment Collectors. We're waiting patiently, or not so patiently, not much, no. to see a copy of it in our very own little hands. But anyone who's ever been interested in reading about travel, this is the book for you. We've written in it. Michelle, the lovely Graham Field, and bucket loads of other people. Oh, and Sam, of course. And you can get it through Sam's um, web page, can't you, Sam? And all good all good online book outlets everywhere.
6: Yeah, too right. Thank you very much, Shirley. That's really nice of you. What, what's the website? Um, sam-manicum.com. And it's um, also available via the book depository. They do free worldwide delivery and it's available um, via Amazon, um, both in paperback format and as a Kindle and um, if i finally get my act together then it'll be available on um, nook as well uh, so yeah uh, the the reviews that are coming back in we we've, we've had a couple now and um, uh, um it i think um it's it's th- there's this is one um, one sentence from one of the reviews that came from Overland Magazine. And um, they say, um, I realize that this may sound a little unconventional, but this is the publication that somehow oozes warmth and invites you in. And I just thought, wow, how cool is that? Oh, really so, nice. yeah, fantastic.
0: That's, that's, great, that's great. That's great. That's great. Sam Manicom.com. Of course, that link is in our show notes, as is with every episode on our website. Um, so who's next? Brian, what have you got for a plug?
3: Uh, I've got a couple of plugs. Um, firstly, um, I've got to thank my, um, editor, at, uh, Nigel Patterson at Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks. No. Nigel, what? I Adventure
0: think it's the place Rider that she's Radio. referring to. It's not Adventure Rider uh, Radio, is it? Uh, no, it's just, uh, Australian Radio.
3: It's yeah. early in the morning. We have too many <laughs> A <double R's. laughs> Australian road rider, it's called ARR. How about that? Is it really? He, oh, it, I didn't realize that. It, I
0: actually didn't realize he's,
3: that. He's, he's put me on a diet because um, he's asked me to go and uh, test ride a bike, um, the Royal Enfield 350 Meteor, which puts out 20 raging horsepower. So I'm not eating today because tomorrow I'm going to have to test ride this little 350. So That's um, it? That's your be, diet? The, the one day?
0: The, what an amazing diet. What is it? You've got to talk about this diet. No food. No
3: food. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting. and um, It'll be an interesting little ride. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it because um, little 350s, 100 miles to the gallon, all that sort of stuff, um, could actually make a good adventure bike. Um, so, yeah, that's um, a plug for um, uh, Australian Road Rider magazine, I suppose. But also uh, on the weekend of the 23rd, the 4th, 5th of April, which is Anzac Day weekend here in Australia. At last, due to COVID restrictions, we haven't been able to run this, but the all-British rally is on at Newstead, which is about 17 kilometres from our house. Um, And this regularly attracts 1,000 people, uh, and this year I reckon it'll be even bigger because we've had two years of not being able to run it. But all sorts of um, British... Machines from uh, very early years right up come to Newstead and uh, these bands and fantastic time. So i plug that to anyone in Australia. If you can get to the All-Brit Rally, um, it, it's a great, great event. So uh, be there if you can.
0: Thanks. Well, very good. That's nice to, to know that you're enjoying your dwindling summer As ours uh, (laughs) (laughs) comes up on the horizon.
2: (laughs)
3: The green light monster comes (laughs) in.
0: Grant, what
4: have you got? We've got some Horizons Unlimited Travelers meetings, of course, coming up. And not too far distant future, we've got California, April 14 to 17. And Virginia, for those who are in a hurry, to make it to both of them the following weekend, April 21 to 24. And then we get into the Hum Cascades in British Columbia, beautiful BC, lots to see, June three to five, and the CanWest West Travelers Meeting, which is probably our, well, it's certainly our oldest running now, and that's June nine to 12. And then we're looking at Newfoundland in August, but in Europe, we've got all kinds of stuff going on. Germany will be in May, Switzerland is August, France in September, And Germany does two events. They're really gung ho, and they do another one in late October. Um, Georgia, we're looking at, and Sweden and Montenegro are all on the calendar. The details on those will be added as soon as we know exactly when, because with COVID, et cetera, of course, we're all being very careful and making sure that we've got good dates and things are open. But we will be opening registration on all events as they come available. But right now, North America is all available. And so keep an eye on all the events. Go to horizonsunlimited.com slash events to find out what's happening where. There should be something near you somewhere.
0: Fantastic to hear a bunch of dates lined up. Wow, that just makes me feel like everything's oh. getting back to normal.
4: Yes, it does feel yeah. so good. You have no idea after two years of virtually nothing. It's just fantastic to be oh, it's great. We can actually start talking to people again. It's looking good. hmm up, but we opening up quite a bit here in Canada. Michelle, what do you have?
1: Um, I've got a couple of things. First, a shout out, if you don't mind, and then a plug. Um, just a quick shout out. I had the opportunity to meet and say hello to and have a nice chat with Raymond from California, a listener of Adventure Rider Radio and the Raw Podcasts. And just a super nice guy. Uh, really enjoys the show and and I just want to say thanks to the listeners because he was he, just the nicest guy. Um, so that was a lot of fun uh, very nice and yeah well, I I needed to share that with you all and I forgot to do so so <laughs> here was my chance oh, cool. um, And the plug would be for uh, revsisters.com so we have we started a series of online uh, motorcycle film festivals that were free to to followers and uh, launched that in COVID in 2020, carried it again last year. And this year we've scaled back a little bit what our slate and calendar looks like, but we'll be launching by the end of the month a uh, our next film festival series and opening that for submissions. So if there are people out there writing, making films of all of their adventures um, and are interested in sharing that, we'd love to see those. So just keep an eye out and go to revsisters.com for details.
0: Okay. And we'll put that link in the show notes. So that's any film, Michelle? It doesn't Is there a length or any sort of requirements?
1: No, it, it can be homemade, professionally made. We have different categories based on film lengths. So we have an ultra short category for under 10 minutes, a short category between 10 and 30 minutes and feature length films are 30 minutes or longer. We've had them submitted in the past couple of years, from all over the world and all different genres of motorcycling from flat track racing uh, to hill climbing, to vintage bike restoration, um, lots of ADV films, uh, which I of course love and, and have the soft spot for. So lots of of incredible stories and experiences have been shared and those films have just been great. They're a lot of fun.
0: I love the idea of under 10 minutes. I'd be curious to see what people come up with in under 10 minutes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> You'd be amazed. Yeah, they can yeah. tell a whole story in that amount of time.
0: Well, and that's skill, isn't it? I mean, it takes. I think it takes a yeah. lot more skill to tell that story in a short uh, piece like that. Um, or at least it could be, anyway. I don't want to diss anyone with a longer piece, of course. Um, <laughs> Sam, what do you have?
6: You, you guys just talking about um, the, the short films made me think of uh, um, a British author called Derek Mansfield. And this guy writes tiny books but you don't feel like you're writing, reading a tiny book because the details and the information that he puts in them is quite phenomenal. It is a skill, Jim. You're quite right.
0: You, you know, what, we've had Derek on the show a couple of times, and you know what I really like uh, about his stories is that he gives a lot of details, but he doesn't give everything away. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion as, a, as an amateur reader. Um, he um, he leaves you enough room to imagine what you want, but mm-hmm. but his details... Are, are incredible at the same time. Uh, it's just, uh, I, I love the way he writes.
6: Yeah, me too. No, absolutely. The um, Rev Sisters um, Film Festivals, I was privileged, um, and I think Shirley and Brian, too, too were to be judges um, um, over recent months. And, the, the films are just incredible the the work that people are putting out there and the ideas they're coming up with um i would recommend strongly that anybody who's listening to this show needs to to look, you know to get logged in on them um because yeah you'll you'll be blown away by stuff um, you won't like all of them but that's fine because we're motorcyclists so we all ride and have different passions but there'll be gems in there that you just think wow about so yeah do 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 log in on it um my plug actually is for um a couple who have been um guests on adventure rider radio and um, if you're in the united states then you will more than likely have come across them at um, various events and so on um overland expo and um, bmw dealerships and so on simon and lisa thomas they were um eighteen years, I think it was was it nineteen years even into um round the world trip, and of course um, they end up ended up for the last couple of years having to be in one place and they 've elected to do that um back in the u k but they haven 't been knocked. Um, As events are beginning to happen again, they're getting involved in things like the Armchair Adventure Festival Boot Camp, which is coming up later this month, and also the Adventure Bike Rider Festival, which is happening in the middle of the summer. Um, So this is really a plug for um, more um, British listeners. But um, this particular angle is um, they've set up... um, something that they called Living Lens Photography. And this is um, a whole range of courses that you can go on at their base in Wales. And Simon and Lisa pass on all of the knowledge that they have gained about photography um, over the years of travel. Because when they started, they, they knew almost nothing. You know, it was a case of pick up any old camera and point it in the right direction and press the button and hope it came out all right. But over all of those years of travel, they learned so much And I'm seeing only fantastic feedback on their courses. So um, it's livinglens.photography. And um, actually, if you're listening, then have a look. Um, Do some catching up with what the guys are up to um, via that website. Um, I think you'll be really impressed.
0: Well, I guess with that, that wraps up February for 2020. Thank you very much, everyone. Another fun day. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Yeah, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. See you all later.
0: Well that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw and thank you to my co-host Sam Manicom starting with Sam Manicom he lives in the UK he's got four books and audiobooks that follow his 8-year motorcycle journey around the world his website sam-manicom.com Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia they also have published their own books on motorcycle travel you can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website aussiesoverland.com.au Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you for listening join us again next time oh and don't forget if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here drop by our website you can also look at the show notes I have some more information in here you can make comments on the show notes adventureriderradio.com